Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We read in Exodus chapter 1, starting with verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the one was Shiphrah and the name of the other was Hua. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Now, so far what we've seen here is Pharaoh in a first move to stop the growth, the population explosion of the Jewish people. And what we've seen is how Pharaoh slandered the Jewish people and he generated this feeling of distrust and hatred and anti-Semitism in the hearts of the Egyptian people. But that did not work. And so what we have here now is Pharaoh coming to see that he could not discourage away the Jewish people. And the first measure that he had taken in order to rid himself and rid the country of the Jewish people didn't work. So verse 12 introduces for us an issue. What's the issue? It's the issue of the more and the more. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. So as far as is increasing in population, the Egyptian persecution was the best thing for the Jewish people. Why? Because who was behind the second, the more, of verse 12? Pharaoh was behind the first, the more, the more they afflicted them in verse 12. But God was behind the second, the more, in verse 12. So the Egyptian persecution was the best thing that ever could have happened to the Jewish people as far as making them to expand and to grow into a large people. So Pharaoh and the Egyptians were playing against God. It's not a good thing to play against God. That's a bad thing because they didn't realize why there was this issue of the more and the more. 
And verse 12 describes now their response, Pharaoh and the Egyptians' response, how they felt when they saw this issue of the more and more. And it says in verse 12 that they were grieved. They were grieved. That word means they, it caused an angst with Egyptians and the Pharaoh. If they were anxious over this, that their plan had failed, and it's not a good thing to set themselves, for anybody to set themselves against God's people. Why? Because God comments on what it's like when a person or a group, as such as the Egyptians, set themselves against God's people, the Jewish people. And the comment is made in Zechariah 2.8, where God says, speaking to the Jewish people, he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. In other words, the prophet is speaking about God, and he's saying to the Jewish people, so picture this now, the prophet of God is speaking to the Jewish people on behalf of God, and he's saying, he that toucheth you touches the apple of God's eye. The eye we know is the most sensitive part in the body, and whoever touches the eye gets our attention. Just think, take your finger, for example, and just slowly bring it to your eye, and as you see that object slowly come into your eye, you're already responding, and you're starting to squint, and then as it touches the eye, it gets your attention, and you back up, and you do everything to stop that, for because, because it's the sensitive part of your body, and God says, that's exactly the picture of how I view those who come against the Jewish people. God said, whoever touches my people, the Jewish people, is like touching my eye, and immediately it gets my attention. So at this point, it would have been good for Pharaoh and the Jewish people just to have sat down and recognized, you know, there's an issue here. There's an issue of the more and the more, and this issue of the more and the more can't be explained on human terms. God has to be behind this. And now Pharaoh seems to just need some time to come up with plan B. So while he's thinking of his plan B, while he's percolating it through his mind, while he's trying to put together what some brilliant idea that will be a failsafe that will certainly not fail, we have verses 13 and 14 during this interim time while he's thinking it through. And verse 13 says, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service they made them serve was with rigor. So during this interim time, they have really put the pressure on the Jewish people. If there was any thought in the minds of anyone as to the intention of the Egyptian people, it's brought out right here. It shows that the heart of hatred which is there. It's really a picture for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any question at all as to whether or not we can just get along with Satan, whether or not we can just, he goes his way, we go our way, whether or not we can just give each other a wide berth. When we read verses like this and show that the true colors of the Egyptian people against the Jewish people were coming out in verses 13 and 14, therefore that's a real lesson to us. There's no peace with Satan. But anyway, this is the interim time, verses 13 and 14, and now during this time of Pharaoh's frustration because his first plan wasn't working, but he doesn't give up. Pharaoh doesn't give up. Oh, no, not Pharaoh. He's smarter than the average bear. And finally, Pharaoh comes up with plan B. 
Plan B, it's a diabolical plan. It's a plan of a selective brutality and violence against the most helpless, vulnerable segment of the Jewish population, newborn male babies. So see how verse 15 opens, very significant. Verse 15 opens with the words, and the king of Egypt, and the king of Egypt. With those words, we can just now feel how Pharaoh has made himself to look, to appear before these poor Jewish midwife women. They were nothing in standing in front of the most powerful man on the earth. So in Pharaoh's mind, he's thinking, man, it's gonna work because there's no question that these two insignificant slave women here, Jewish midwives, no question they will obey my instructions, which were, one, when you are in the seclusion of the birthing room, when the mother is in her weakest point, having just given birth, when there is confusion all around, then he says, you will look carefully and when you see a male baby, you will quietly remove that baby and you will kill that baby. And we can just picture Pharaoh there. He's toasting himself for the brilliance of this plan B. And Pharaoh has made the whole situation under control and walking around, we can just see him there walking around proudly within his palace, congratulating himself and everything is going great except for one minor problem. It's just that old issue of the more and the more. The old issue of God. And he's totally ruled that out. And so this is what we're gonna see happen here in more frustration. All right, so now we come in verse 15. And we have now coming on to this stage, God's stage, the history of the Jewish people here, we have two wonderful women, wonderful ladies, wonderful women of God who now appear. And these ladies will honor God. They will honor God as we see here uh, what's gonna happen. And what's going to occur with these women is that God is going to take notice of how they honor God and then God is gonna live up good and true to his promise in 1 Samuel 2.30 where he said, them that honor me, I will honor. Them that honor me, I will honor, and these two women will honor God, and God will honor them, and God starts his honoring of them. Why, how? By having their names, having them be so honored that their names, they're not just two women, but God says, honor those women, and their names are given here in verse 15. And it's a wonderful thing as we see this here. The name of the first was Shifra, and the name of the other, Pua, engraved into the word of God for eternity, the two names, them that honor me, I will honor. Now, the first thing we see about these women is that we know nothing about them. They're two very brave women. They've got a lot of courage. They're women of God, but they just appear suddenly on the stage. And though their names are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, they are brought out for us here in full brilliance as examples. This is the only time that we see them on God's stage of human history because they were brought into such a time, into the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, as far as for the Jewish people go, life 
couldn't have been much harder. It was getting harder and harder and harder for the Jewish people. But God was using the hardness of this and the afflictions to grow them, as we've seen. And it illustrates for us, us another very important principle in life. When the good life for the Jewish people in the land of Goshen suddenly became ruined and suddenly became the horrible life for the Jewish people in the land of Goshen, we can imagine how the Jewish people reacted at that time. Two words, why God? Why did you allow all this to happen to us? Why did you allow our paradise to become ruined? Why did you allow the Egyptians to turn against us? Where was God when the Egyptians turned against us? Why did you allow our peaceful, our wonderful lives to become shattered? Why did you allow us to become slaves? Why did you allow the Egyptian people for their hatred to just become without a foundation, without a basis, just to become stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger against us? Why did you allow this hatred for no reason to blossom and make our lives miserable? Why, God? And why did God allow this to happen to the Jewish people? And why does God allow us to have terrible things occur to us in life? Why? Because God has a program to develop his people in life. And in fact, the whole history of the Jewish people up to this point gives us an understanding. It gives us an enlightenment of God's goal, God's desire, God's care. First, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? We are saved, and God does great things for us. We're saved, we look back on life, we see how God has protected us, and we experience during that time, just after we're saved, kind of a honeymoon period. It's wonderful. It's just like when the Jewish people were reconciled to their brother Joseph, and they settled, and he caused them, Joseph caused them, to settle in the best of the land of Egypt, the land of Goshen. And life was good. Life was very good for the Jewish people. And the people multiplied and were treated very well by the Egyptians. And we can imagine the Jewish people saying, not bad, not bad. Life's very good. Life couldn't be better, it's nice here, we're in the best of the land, thank you very much to the Egyptian people. You know, I remember right after I was saved, and it seemed like the world just changed overnight. I remember some of my enemies at work there, all of a sudden they became my friends, and I thought, this is not bad, life got easier, the Christian life is not bad, it's not bad at all, I felt I was on easy street. But God is too good to leave Israel on easy street and let Goshen in Egypt become heaven for the Jewish people. And God is too good for to leave us on easy street and let earth become heaven for us as believers. The lap of luxury on earth is a dangerous, dangerous place for the people of God. God knows that the sight of our face is like a magnet for the pillow of luxury, he knows that. And he knew, God knew that if life continued like that, it would be a disaster, why? because we look for the soft pillow. We like the cool drink. We love the San Diego weather. I remember when I was in my 20s, 
I just felt like Superman. I felt like I was ready for any challenge. I started Scanabody's laboratory. I can't even imagine doing now at that time when I was 25. At that time, I was really feeling my oath. $130, all we had for investment, no problem. We'll start the company with $130, ready to tackle whatever challenge came my way to establish this new goat antibody business. Buy some property that's almost vertical up and down with rocks all over the place, no problem, we'll make it all work. We moved our family from the city out to this really terrible lot in the country. We put 300 goats all around our house, amounted to one acre of, of hillside land. In case you don't know, one acre of, of hillside land for both the family house and 300 goats is a little crowded. But we would just make it happen. We would brute force and youthful perseverance, no problem. The problem is, with each decade of life, I was losing that feeling of the oats. And as time went on, I was feeling less like Superman and more like Invalid Man. And I remember, one very exhausting business trip that taken in Japan. And those days in the business trip in Japan, they started at 3 a.m. in the morning with the company back in San Diego on the phone, going through all the problems and so forth and everything that's happening and discussing it, starting 3 a.m. in the morning and going on to about 7 a.m. and then finally starting off the day and crisscrossing the country of Japan from one business meeting to another and ending with a business dinner for the day. It was absolutely grueling. And at the end of this particular trip, I was, an understatement would have been to have said, I was exhausted. I was more than exhausted. I was practically dead. And my wife and I, she wasn't on the trip, but we decided to meet each other on the way back in Honolulu, Hawaii. We're gonna take a rest. And I remember being on the flight to Tokyo to Honolulu, and I was so tired, I could barely walk. And I was anticipating the paradise of being in Hawaii after such an exhaustion. And I remember as the plane started its descent, and you could see those white caps on that beautiful, turquoise blue water and the sky was so blue and those patches of white clouds being blown by the wind and passing you could see them and I remember looking down on the water and seeing the shadows pass along the surface of the water as the clouds were being blown and as I was watching from the window the island of Oahu appeared and as Hawaii was getting nearer heaven was becoming less near and more distant. And as the plane approached Hawaii, heaven was becoming less real and more religious. And as anticipation mounted for me to be in Hawaii, heaven was becoming less actual and more academic. And after meeting up with my wife and we got settled in the hotel, and I remember just lying around, that's all I could do, I was so tired, just lying around the pool, and the thought came to me, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful wouldn't it be wonderful to just live over here? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live here with no business? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live here with no employees? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live here with no deadlines, with no appointments, with no schedules? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live here with no stress and no problems? And those thoughts just became like a preoccupation for me, sort of percolating in my mind. And those thoughts became enjoyable, daydreams. They became enjoyable. My wife and I would take these walks, we walk along the beach, we walk in the city, and then something began to disturb those enjoyable daydreams. 
I began to become increasingly aware, increasingly impressed with all the sexual immorality that was around. I began to see more clearly the open prostitution there in, in Honolulu. I began to become more aware of the unmarried couples traveling and speaking about their unmarried, so to speak, relationship without shame. I began to hear more the uninhibited profanity, the loud taking of the Lord's name in vain. And all of this just seemed to accost, and it took more and more center stage around me. And as I was becoming more and more aggravated with the realization that paradise was becoming ruined, and I remember the day when we were gonna leave Hawaii and I remember waking up that morning and lying there in bed and thinking, today we have to leave Hawaii. And I didn't want to get out of bed. And I was feeling torn. And on one hand, I didn't want to leave Hawaii. And on the other hand, I felt repulsed by the sin of Hawaii and aggravated with just the picture that was developing of a paradise ruined. And I'm in that state and I'm thinking, what is going on? And I'm looking to God and I remember a verse a verse that I had memorized in the past that just came to my mind. It was like a light went on, and that morning in that bed, it seemed to me that it had, was written in the Bible just for me at that time in that bed. And that verse couldn't have been more direct to me from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a verse written to the Jewish people, actually, in Micah 2, verse 10. And the verse reads, Arise ye and depart. For this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It will destroy you, even with a sword destruction. There I was, lying in the bed, not wanting to get up, not wanting to leave Hawaii, and God speaks to me from that verse, Arise ye and depart. And I remember sitting around the pool and the memories and wanting to retire in Hawaii and so forth, and that part of that verse just came to me. This is not your rest. And I remember it again how aggravated I was by all the sin in Hawaii and God spoke to me, it is polluted. And I remember thinking that maybe I could just not be affected by all that sin and I could just enjoy and God spoke to me through that verse, it shall destroy you even with the sword destruction. And as I lie there in the bed with my thoughts, it was as if the Lord had said to me, Hawaii has been for you a little rest along the way but now your temporary rest is over. It's time for you to press on. Press on, weary soldier. Hawaii is not your final home. Heaven is, and it will be better than Hawaii because there's no sin in heaven. No sin. And as I thought about that verse, heaven, which had become distant, was now again near. And heaven, which had become religious, was now again real. And heaven, which had become academic, was now more actual. So God allowed that great change in me to, in order to see this, and it's the same reason why God allowed this great change in attitude of the Egyptian people to be against the Jewish people. And so that's the reason why. You know, when you think the city of Sodom, Sodom, of course, what comes to our mind? Oh, it's a place of sin. It's a place of open, unashamed, aggressive homosexuality. It was. That was a place where Abraham's nephew, Lot, we was found there. And it subscribes to us in the New Testament that as far as how Lot felt in the city of Sodom, it says there that Lot's soul was vexed, and that's the word. It was vexed. It was a place where 
he lost really morally his daughters. It corrupted his daughters. He lost his wife, who eventually, when they were being taken out, could not agree with God that Sodom had to be run from, and she turned back and became a pillar of salt. So we think of Sodom as a terrible place. So if Sodom was such a terrible place, how was Lot drawn into Sodom? His soul was vexed with all of the sin in that city. But what was it about Sodom that drew him there? It's a verse tucked away in Genesis 13:10, and it says something very significant, and it says this, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. So Lot was drawn into Sodom because it was a beautiful place. It's described as the place which is called, even as the garden of the Lord. What's the garden of the Lord? The garden of the Lord is the garden of Eden because it says there that God in Eden planted a garden for Adam. That was the garden of the Lord. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051.